Hello, and welcome to episode 38, Girl Mode. I'm one of your hosts, Robin B. And I'm Willa Rowe. We are back. We're back. It is X-Men time. The year is 1984. (laughs) I know. Okay, so I am very excited to get back into it. Um, The people have demanded that we do more X-Men podcasts. Literally no one wanted this. Literally everybody is coming up to me on the streets being Mm -hmm. like, you know what you need to do? We need another girl mode X-Men podcast. It would make society better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... I say we just get into it, yeah? Well, okay, wait. Oh. <laughs> to explain for anyone who has started listening to the podcast, because smart, good people recommended it to them mm-hmm. and are going to be very uh, disappointed by Confused. what we're doing now, this is part two of uh, a series that Willa ambushes me with once in a while, where she just tells me all of her immense X-Men knowledge. Um, yeah, basically we... the goal of this is that over several episodes, I'm essentially just going to recount the entire history of the X-Men to you. Yes, and I'm going to retain uh, optimistically 1% of it. That's fine. Um, so if, if you haven't heard the first one, go listen to episode 26. It's called Giant Size Girl Mode number one, which is a very funny title that I came up with and um, you're so smart it'll get you up from the beginning of the x-men to where we are now Mm -hmm. um and where we are now is actually let me try to recap what i remember okay yeah i have a recap but this will be fun okay so the x-men started in the late 1960s (laughs) yeah the 60s Nobody liked it, and it was bad, so they stopped doing it. Mm -hmm. And then in the 1970s, it came back (laughs) under the direction of of an individual named Chris Claremont. Good job. Starting with an issue called Giant-Sized... I almost said girl mode, (laughs) Giant-Sized X-Men number one, Mm -hmm. um, which was printed on giant paper. That's why they called it that. And that one was about... The old X-Men were captured mm-hmm. and Cyclops escaped because he was the protagonist. And then, I I don't know, a bunch of bullshit happened and they introduced some new mutants, but not the new mutants, just just new mutants. Correct. And then for a while, uh, I, I wasn't really paying attention. And then <laughs> it's... A lot of stuff happened. And at some point, the, the X-Men, Chris Claremont made the X-Men more political, particularly with an arc or maybe just like an individual issue or something called God. You're so close. God's man. God, man kills. God saves. God saves. Man kills. God loves. Man kills. God loves. Man kills. Which was like where it became very explicitly like the X-Men are about uh, homosexuals, basically. <laughs> oh, OK. The other crucial, the crucial thing, because I remember the cliffhanger now was that Jean Grey, who was a psychic, telekinetic person, was possessed by a space bird named the Phoenix Force. Yes. And then she killed herself with an anti-Phoenix Force gun that she stole from aliens on the moon. Pretty much. And then uh, Cyclops was her boyfriend, and he was very sad, as one would be. And then Cliffhanger, uh, some amount of time later... Uh, Cyclops is 
I don't know, out buying groceries or something, and he runs into a woman who looks exactly like Jean Grey and also a man named Sinister because comics are silly. Mm-hmm. And that's that's basically what I... Oh, I also remember Magic. I remember that Magic is my favorite X-Men. Yeah. She has a cool sword and a cool backstory, and she uh, she's just great. Yeah, you did a great job. I think you you remembered most of the important stuff and you remembered where we're picking up. So let's get right into it. You know, Scott is currently massively depressed. He is in Alaska. He's going to Alaska to see his grandparents. This is something I kind of like passed over because it wasn't insanely important. But Scott's entire family is very, very... Um, uh-huh. important to the comics. He, okay. It becomes very weird. Basically, he Sorry. has... I'm just turning down my headphones because you immediately started shouting when you started I'm talking so sorry. about the X-Men. Um, it's fine. So You're just basically, very excited. Basically, the whole thing with Scott is like he was in a plane crash and he thinks he's the only survivor Like when, it, he, when he was a kid. Oh, oh, okay. But anyways, like over time in the comics, we learn that he has two brothers who go by the names Havoc and Vulcan. They are also mutants. And then his dad is a person named Corsair who ends up being, he has a lot of involvement in space. He's part of a team called the Star Jammers. And he has a lot of stuff. He has a lot of stuff to do with the Shi'ar, who, if you remember, Professor Xavier dates a woman named Lalandra, who is the head of the Shi'ar. Uh-huh. Were the Star Jammers invented in the 1970s? Yeah. Okay. It just so, sounds like they were. Yeah. So this is kind of uh, where we're at. And when Scott leaves, he leaves Storm in charge of the X-Men. Okay. Wait, what but was what part of the why was the plane crash relevant? Oh, I was just giving you an update on um, like Scott's family background. Okay. Just to I wasn't sure if I needed to retain anything from that. Plane plane crashes are important, though. Actually, they do come up. So he's walking around and he is astounded to see a woman who he thinks is Jean Grey. In Alaska. To him. Yeah. In Alaska when he's visiting his grandparents. He sees this woman and he's like, that's Jean. And he, you know, he goes up and he meets her and he finds out that this woman is named Madeline Pryor. And they immediately start having a relationship. It it progresses like really quick. And this is like, so Madeline, basically, she just is kind of like, I feel really drawn to you, Scott. Like, I just like, you feel important to me. And like, I like this relationship. And Scott, and this will become a running theme throughout like the rest of the X-Men history. Scott likes Madeline because he will never get over Jean. He is obsessive. He will never move on from Jean. And every other woman in his life will never live up to Jean. Mm-hmm. So that's a great bedrock for a relationship. Yeah, of course. Eventually, Scott, he he kind of gets out of his funk and he takes Madeline back to, you know, Westchester, to the mansion. Th- that's where the school is. It's in Westchester, New York. He starts, like, introducing people to her and uh, immediately all the X-Men are like, what? <laughs> and there are a couple strange things about Madeline that start coming up. Mainly two of them. One is that Madeline's mind is blocked off from Charles. Charles cannot read Madeline's thoughts, which is not something that's typical considering mm-hmm. he is a Omega level telepath. The second thing is that she was actually in a plane crash very recently. She was in a plane crash 
that happened at the exact moment that Jean died. How on earth do they figure that out? They just do. <laughs> okay. Fine. So this is kind of what like happens. As it goes, everybody ignores every red flag about this. Why wouldn't you? And then literally within six issues, we go from Madeline Pryor and Scott meet to now they are married. They get married oh, wow. very quick and they go on their honeymoon. <laughs> Wait, what's the timeline of this in the comic? Is it literally like six weeks? It's very quick. I don't know what the okay. actual like what they say it is, but it's it's six issues. So it's sure. I don't know, maybe maybe let's be generous and say it's months, but mm -hmm. still. <laughs> um, so then we're just going to do like a check in on the other X-Men now, because sure. one of the things that also has come up in the 80s is now that the X-Men are like super popular and they're like the most popular team that Marvel has, they start branching out because it's been just the X-Men comic. And they're branching out now. So as we talked about, they create the New Mutants, which have their own comic. Then you also get some like, you get some spinoffs that, and, and all this time, Chris Claremont is still like writing these things. Like mm -hmm. there's no other really writers coming in. He also does a Wolverine comic that is just about Wolverine. Basically, uh, have you seen the movie The Wolverine? Which one is that? That's the one where he goes to Japan. No, I haven't seen that one. Okay, so that is basically based on this comic. What happens okay. is Logan, he goes to Japan. He has some like business there, uh, fights some enemies, but he also meets a girl and gets married. Wow. And so he invites all the X-Men out. They all go to <laughs> Japan and uh, they go to his wedding. Sadly, there's a there's a, uh, a villain called Mastermind and Mastermind basically tried to ruin scott's wedding because he doesn't like he Scott. Hates weddings yeah yeah and it didn't work but he's like well i still want to fuck up the x-men so i'm gonna go ruin wolverine's wedding specifically he and wants to fuck with the x-men's weddings someone left him at the altar and just he has <laughs> he never got that is his villain origin story it's canonical don't look it up but anyways he tries to ruin wolverine's marriage or wedding and what he does is he takes over the mind of wolverine's fiance who is mm -hmm. uh, Mar uh mariko and basically has her change her mind and be like, no, I'm not going to marry you. I don't want to be with you anymore. I don't love you. Eventually, they like they fix that. They She gets control over her mind again. But they make the decision, her and Logan, they're like, listen, we still want to like date and be in a romantic relationship. But Mariko's like, I can't marry you. There's like, this is kind of a little too much. And I can't mm -hmm. do that. And I also have things that I need to deal with my, with my family and all these right. things. So getting mind controlled is just going to make things a lot more difficult. So they never get they never end up like remarrying. Is this the same story where there's like the little girl Wolverine? No, that oh. she comes in way later. Okay. Don't get ahead of yourself. I'm so sorry. Put a pin in that. Yeah. Although I love <laughs> I love her so much. She is one of my favorite characters and we will talk about her. I forgot about the pins. Do you remember everything we have put pins in? No, okay. I should have. I should have listened back. You should have listened back and picked all pulled all the pins. <laughs> pulled all the pins. We're going to check in on Storm also now. Who's Storm. getting married. <laughs> Storm is not getting married. Oh. She is leading the X-Men. And a couple things happened to her. One, there's a part where she briefly loses her powers for a second because there's this like, there's this gun that uh, just, okay. That, I don't know what you want from me. <laughs> this is exactly what I want. This there's is... this gun that gets fired at her and it like negates all of her powers. And basically she gets captured. And while she's captured, she ends up being nursed back to health by this guy named Forge. 
I know him from nice. his card in Marvel Snap. Amazing. And then, so basically, Forge and her start having this very close relationship, and they kind of have like a romantic thing very quickly until she finds out that Forge is actually a mutant and his mutant ability is that he can like build incredible technology and he built the gun that <laughs> took away her powers. Oh no. She eventually gets her powers that? back though because uh, he was like working for the government. Hmm. He's a shitty dude. Damn. Inventors, man. You can't trust him. But what? That's just a very specific... <laughs> I don't like, know. Stereotype to have. You know inventors. <laughs> you know you know inventors. You know Everybody's how they are. Everybody's had a run-in with an inventor. Yeah. Hey, I, I just want to say, like, inventors throughout history, they're they're weird people. That's true. They electrocute elephants. Exactly. They do all kinds of wacky stuff. Yeah. So uh, eventually that, like, she's fine. She kind of distanced herself from Forge, but she gets her powers back. She goes to the wedding. Sorry. How Wolverine's does she get wedding. powers back? Does Forge invent another gun that reverses the effects of the first one? Uh, I think... F- Forge basically is able to fix it because he was the one who made the gun that caused it. He oh, was sure. able to reverse it. So he just turns the switch on the gun he to forgot reverse. To, yeah, he forgot to hit yeah. the switch. But uh, so Storm, this has all happened to her. And then she goes to Wolverine's wedding. While she's at this wedding, she meets Yukio, mm-hmm. who's a friend of Wolverine's there. And this is this woman that Storm becomes very, very close with. Very fast. Being friends quote unquote with her mm-hmm. being friends with her makes storm kind of reevaluate her life and like where she is as a person and she decides after meeting this girl and becoming very close with her she's like you know what i need to do i need to shave my head into a mohawk and start wearing a leather jacket and being punk wow that's like glass closet if there ever was one yeah exactly so then a couple other people are doing things mm-hmm. rogue uh, Rogue is a character also a who, <laughs> no, famously not. Famously, Wait, famously famous. We'll get into it. She's just. She's... I mean, she. We'll get into it. But Rogue, okay. she ends up joining the X Men at this time. Basically, Magneto is no longer in charge of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Mystique has kind of taken it over, and mm. she, you know, Mystique is Rogue's mother. Oh, if you I knew that. that. Oh, yes. I didn't know that. Mystique is uh, Rogue's mother. Rogue was actually raised. Uh, initially by Mystique and Destiny, her two moms. Right. I did know this. Yes. I do remember this. So, um, Wait, what is Magneto doing? Why does he leave the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants? I'm going to get to that. I'm so sorry. So Rogue, eventually, she's like fighting the X-Men. A lot of stuff happens. And Mystique is kind of like, you need to do this. You need to be a villain. You need to be fighting the X-Men. To the point where like the X-Men are like, hey, I understand you have mommy issues trauma can be really hard but like we're just we're just chill like if you want to like hang out with us that's cool so rogue ends up joining the x-men we can fight sometimes if that like does it for you (laughs) and then uh another person who joins the team is rachel summers okay this is a name i've heard scott summers is cyclops yes rachel summers is his daughter from the future oh wow okay (laughs) I was not going to get there. <laughs> so yeah, Rachel is from the Days of Future Past timeline, which we talked okay, about. That was did. where like Kitty and all that. She's from the Days of Future Past timeline, and she's the child of Scott and the Phoenix Force. And so 
she comes back in time and she joins the present day X-Men. I want to point out, I do have a parenthesis, uh, like a parenthetical note on my document that does say she's a huge lesbian because she absolutely is. Uh-huh. Like, Sorry, I'm just imagining the fan art that must exist of here, Scott I need a, and the Phoenix Force. I'm going to look up uh, Rachel Summers. I'm going to show you some pictures. We're going to get Scott into picture town. Space bird. No. We're going to what? We're getting into picture oh, town yeah. again. So I'm going to start sending yeah. you pictures. Um, so here is a picture of Rachel. Yes, this this is a picture of a gay woman. Oh, I mean, here. Okay, so this is a bit like jumping ahead and spoiling stuff, but I'm just going to send you this so you know what I'm talking about. This is okay. a picture of Rachel Summers as well. Yeah. And she's making out. She is making out with her girlfriend. Wow. Who's her girlfriend? Her girlfriend is Betsy Braddock. We will talk about her briefly, but yeah. I love them. She, this is my new favorite X-Men. I mean, she's great. Hey, magic. Is magic also gay? Uh, I don't think canonically. Mm, she, okay. we all, we all know though. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. But anyways, Rachel comes, Rachel comes back from the future and she joins the X-Men. When she comes back, she also accidentally lets Nimrod, who is a character, mm-hmm. come into the past as well. And Nimrod okay. is a character who will come up again. You are curious about Magneto. Wait, how does she get back to the present from the future? I don't know. These things okay. are not that important. Listen, okay. if you're going to do this, we're going to be here for more hours than we already will be. Yeah. This is my job I know. this week, is to ask you clarifying questions. I know. Um, I do not know that. Or confusing questions. Okay. But so you, you were curious about what Magneto has been up to. Mm-hmm. He's getting married. I'm going to tell you about the trial of Magneto, which is a story arc that happens. Okay. And this is actually one of the most important story arcs Claremont does about Magneto yep. that makes it like it's very influential and you'll hear why. So Magneto, the way this story starts is, you know, basically Magneto has like he's he's gone away from the Brotherhood. He's like, I don't feel like I want to be doing that anymore. I kind of want to just like chill out a little bit and, uh, you know, take some time for myself. Find out. Find find who I am. Am I really evil? Exactly. And the way this comic starts is he is hanging out at a Holocaust memorial gathering because this is when Chris Claremont makes it known that Magneto is a Holocaust survivor. He gives him this backstory. Oh, I thought that was like from the beginning of Claremont stuff. Not fully. It's okay. There are things that are touched on, but he never like fully goes into it until this time. And it's like, really blatantly said, like, this is why his backstory is. This is like the reasoning behind why he feels, you know, so strong about the mutant like people. While he's just hanging out at a Holocaust memorial gathering, government agents storm in and they arrest him. And he goes on trial. That's a bad look. He goes on trial in court. Mm-hmm. And the like the trial itself is not that very important. But what happens is he is exonerated of his crimes. The court finds him not guilty. And it's basically like, look, Magneto is not actually that much of a villain. And during this trial, though, there is a villain. There are these two villains called the Fenris, the Fenris twins. They attack the trial. They attack Magneto and Xavier. And Xavier, during this time, gets so injured that Lalandra, his space wife, has to. That's <laughs> what she is. Although they're not officially married yet. At this okay. point, I d- yeah, they're not his married space yet. Fiance. His space lover, but 
But essentially what happens is Xavier gets really, really injured to the point that Londra has to take him away because she's like, hey, listen, the Shi'ar, we're like a very advanced species. Like, yeah. we can help you. I can take you to Space General Hospital and they will yeah. be able to help you out And there. he's like, okay. But he's like, but wait, if I leave, there's nobody to like lead the X-Men. Hey, my friend Magneto. You've just, just been, been exonerated. Yeah. Not evil. <laughs> He's legally said to be not evil. He's like, hey, Magneto, I want you to take over the X-Men and I want you to lead them and lead the school. And so there's a really funny note about this is that, yeah, so, you know, Magneto is obviously he is exonerated. However, mm-hmm. when he takes over for Charles, he decides to take a fake name. Um, He takes another name, which is he goes by Michael Xavier. And he says that he's Charles's cousin. Okay. Which like, this is straight up homosexual. Yeah, more secret gay stuff. Yeah. Okay. So that's like absurd. And that's kind of where we're at. That's kind of the status quo of like what everybody's up to. Wait, so he takes a fake name for whom? Like, who thinks that he, who knows that he's Magneto and who doesn't? I mean, they all know at the school. Right. I guess it's just because, you know, he doesn't want other people to be like, hey, Magneto's in charge of the school now. That's weird. Okay. Because he has been, like, fighting these people for, like, decades at this point. Yeah. Is everybody just, like, They've teamed up with him before. I mean, they've had to team up before. And... Uh, it's still weird but like people learn to live with it and as you Mm -hmm. will find out in the x-men comics like this happens a million fucking times magneto will go from villain to hero to like you know anti-hero all the time Mm -hmm. so that's the status quo of kind of where everybody is madeline and scott they're back and wouldn't you know it within like 20 more comics they now have had a child wow Um, Like, they really were just so fast. Um, Yeah. It's a mutant thing. I'm sure. (laughs) And so they have a kid. Wait, is the child Rachel? No. They have a kid, and his name is... Oh, no, that was a Phoenix Force child. His name is Nathan. This is Nathan Summers. This is the baby. He's he's literally a a child, like a very Uh recently born baby. At the same time, a mysterious cocoon is discovered (laughs) in... At the bottom of the of the sea in Jamaica Bay. Okay. Can you guess what is inside of this cocoon? <sighs> okay. What do we have so far? Scott Summers has just had a child with Madeline Pryor? With Madeline Pryor. Okay. So is the cocoon like a new phoenix force? Is it like literally just Jean Grey in a cocoon? It is, is literally it? Jean Grey in a cocoon. Uh, oh, God. So they discover this cocoon and they open it up and it's Jean and she's alive. And the way they kind of like explain this away is that they basically say that when the Phoenix Force was getting ready to like take over everything and destroy everything and Jean was like deciding she was going to end it, mm-hmm. there was some weird Phoenix Force stuff about it. Basically, like it replaced her body and it and it like saved her actual body and her consciousness in this like cocoon so it could so it could just like be in stasis it's a lot of bullshit why i don't know because people can't stay dead and they want to okay. bring gene back sure. also 
I love this so much because it's like Scott is like trying to be happy and have a life. And Chris Claremont is like, what if we bring back Jean Grey right now? <laughs> it's it's pretty iconic and it's really messy and I love it. Yeah. So she comes, she comes out and she's back. Everybody is like, and everybody, you know, very quickly is like, okay, Jean's back from the dead. Cool. Let's move sure. on. <laughs> Seems fine. Um, at this point, all the original five X-Men who are... Beast. Beast. Iceman. Iceman. Cyclops. Cyclops. With Storm, one of them? No. Uh, They were all white. (laughs) Okay. All these waspy people. Jean Grey. Jean Grey. So not... um, There was a guy who you said everybody liked, but they killed immediately, but he was Native American. Yeah. You're going to kick yourself because we had a big talk about this, actually. Iceman, Jean, Scott, Beast. Oh, Wolverine. No. No? Uh, Angel. Angel, that's right. Which I want to be clear. I have to to, like do a a slight correction or not correction, but elaboration. Zoe was really mad at me when she listened to the episode because I never said (laughs) Warren's full name, which Warren. His full name is Warren Worthington III. Oh, because he's he's a nepo baby. Oh, he's, no, he's a course. trust fund kid. Right. That's how we got in, even though he's, he's not that interesting. I mean, yeah, basically. Uh, so he was a legacy admission to the Xavier Institute for <laughs> the first. Special... He was the first class, but still a legacy. Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so basically all the five original X-Men, they're all hanging out and they kind of get together, you know, I assume they have their weekly, like, drinks where they all catch up. as you do. One of your friends comes back from the dead. They basically are taking a look at the X-Men and the team and they're kind of like, they have this moment where they're like, it's getting really gay here, right? (laughs) Like, why are these, why are so many homosexuals here? Is everybody cool with this? And Scott Scott is like, listen, Gene, we have a kid from the future who's here now, and because it's like, basically, and this will come up again, like, Scott specifically, but Scott and Jean, they have so many fucking children that are all like weird future children, alternate children, (laughs) whatever. And Jean mostly just ends up being their mom, even though a lot of them technically aren't hers. Like technically it's kind of the Phoenix Force. And also the funniest is uh, actually I'll I'll get to it later, but (laughs) we'll get there. But like they're chatting and they look around and they're like, we don't really recognize the X-Men anymore. And they don't mean it like all these new people. They kind of think that the team has like lost its way is kind of what they say. And they're like spreading the like great replacement theory. So basically what happens is they decide to leave. They leave the team and they found their own group called X-Factor, which is a great name. Okay. It's, I mean... (laughs) I guess they're sticking with the brand. I, I know. know. Uh, they have. Oh, they have actually great uniforms. Hmm. I'm going to show you the the uniforms for the X Factor team. Wasn't that a reality show? Uh, yeah. Please hold for picture. Mm-hmm. I actually kind of like the X Factor uniforms because they are silly they're basically they're all the same but different color palettes. It's like jumpsuits uh-huh. with a big X on the 
on the sure. uniform. And I actually it think the it's kind of stylish. It's much easier to tell apart. Yeah, I actually like it. I think it's kind of fun and stylish. Like a lot of the times uh, the X-Men have like they each have their individual uniform, which is cool mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. But I kind of like when they all have like like a team look. I think it's fun. It's like why the Fantastic like- Four is great. The Fantastic Four are like they all have the same fit. Yeah, that's why they're great. That is exactly like why that, they're great. Uh, Warren Worthington III isn't even on this cover. Yeah, this one he's not on. <laughs> but uh, so they form X Factor. And the whole thing about X Factor is that this is at a time where like like all time in the X-Men, people hate mutants and they think they're bad. And so X Factor, and this is you're going to lose your mind that this is the premise of X Factor and that it okay. works. They pretend that they are mutant hunters. <laughs> Basically, they go to people and they're like, listen, we can take down mutants. We can take the, down those troublesome mutants for you. And they go out and they find mutants that people are like scared of. And they like arrest they run them. Up and then they go beat the shit out yeah. of the people who hired them. <laughs> they like, they take them and they like, basically they help them like learn how to like control their powers and like find safe places and blah, 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 blah. That's kind mm. of what they do. That's X-Factor's whole deal. And they do not interact with the main team. So they're just like going out there and teaching mutants how to assimilate, basically? Yes. Which is like, let me tell you, this is Charles and his group have always been problematic as hell. It's why I don't like them. Oh, Magneto. I remember this. I remember this. I'm going to bring it up again. Magneto was right, which will pit a which that pin is still in there. Yeah, that's going to be a that pin's going to get a lot of use. Yeah, but... At this point, we have three books that are going on. We have Uncanny X-Men, which is the mainline comic. We have mm-hmm. New Mutants, and we have X-Factor now. Okay. Also of note is uh, Magneto. One of the key things he's doing at this time, besides like being in charge, is he kind of acts as a mentor to the New Mutants. Oh. He's kind of like, he, yeah, he basically like is guiding them and is like, hey, I'm like, I'm your cool yeah, he's like a cool figure. art teacher who the weird kids, you know, kind of are into. Yeah. Okay. So now Storm comes up again. Storm is going through even more shit because at at some point there's this storyline where the X-Men... She had a really emotional breakup with her best friend and it seems like it's more she, than that. Yeah, she was like, I don't know what I am feeling. So many emotions. <laughs> She's just my right. friend. Like, But I can't stop crying. Uh, yeah. I just keep wearing her jacket. We've all been there, Storm. I'm so sorry, girl. But uh, it's so bad that it puts her back in the closet and she never comes out. But Storm is like going through a lot because one of the things that happens is the X-Men go on a mission where they go to the sewers of New York where... (laughs) To fight the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So they find a group of mutants called the Morlocks. And the Morlocks, the reason they live in the sewers is because their mutations are so physical most of the time that they they could not appear to be a regular like human. Sure. So they have been. There's a person who has like bone bikes or something. Is that one of these people? Uh, who, who are you talking about? I don't know. I think there was some. It wasn't in the 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 really bad third X Men movie. Oh, the guy with the porcupine. The, the guy with the, the porcupine, porcupine guy. I don't think. I think that's a, just a movie guy. Oh, is Psylocke one of them? No, I'm surprised you know who Psylocke is. Of course, I know who Psylocke is. Okay, but anyways, um, they go down and they see this, and it's like it's really it's it's more of this like very political statement where it's like look at these marginalized uh-huh. people here all these like essentially like disabled people who 
even the X-Men look down upon and they see Mm -hmm. them as lesser, even though they are mutants. It's just a different form of mutation. And it's like, this is something that comes up a lot is the idea of like, essentially, there are are mutants who can pass and there are mutants who cannot. That's like exactly what I was thinking. These are non-passing mutants. Yeah. So they have been forced down to live in the sewage under New York. And this like really gets to Storm because Mm -hmm. like Storm, she grew up basically being in poverty and like having to steal and being a thief and all this stuff. She's lived a hard life and she sees this and she's like, this is horrible. And the X-Men don't really care in a lot of the ways. And again, they kind of, they also are weird about it. They're like, "Eh, the Morlocks, like, no, they're not bad, but like, let's not hang out with them. Yeah. They're being white liberals about it. Exactly. So wait, are there any Morlocks that I would know? Like, do any of them become characters or are they kind of just used for this storyline? So just give it a minute. You'll find out. Okay. Okay. Literally, I could not name a Morlock off the top of my head. They're not very interesting characters uh, besides of what they allow for other characters to go (laughs) through. Storm leaves the X-Men. She she leaves Nightcrawler in charge. Who do you know Nightcrawler? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So she leaves Nightcrawler in charge. She was in charge? When was she in charge? I told you this. When Scott left, he left Storm in charge. What about Magneto, though? I thought Magneto okay, was no, in charge. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. To clarify, I understand your confusion. So Scott yeah. would lead, like, he leads the superhero team, like the oh, X-Men. Okay, okay. He leads, like, the strike sure. team is what they usually call it. They call it, like, the strike mm-hmm. team. And Storm becomes the leader of that. That's, like, you know, the force okay. that goes out gotcha. and actually does missions. Whereas... You know, Magneto takes over Charles' role, which is basically like administrator over everything and kind of like back at school and all that. Like, so that's that's what I mean. I understand your confusion. I'm sorry. I hope I cleared it up. Uh, Yes. So, yes. Okay. So Storm. Who's in charge of the gift shop? So Storm leaves the (laughs) X-Men and she leaves Nightcrawler in charge of the of like the strike force. Mm -hmm. And she goes and joins the Morlocks. She like goes down there and like lives with them. At this time, there's a group of villains called the Marauders. And the Marauders are secretly controlled by Mr. Sinister. Okay. And he commands them to go down to the sewers and massacre all the Morlocks. Shit. And so the X-Men go down to try to stop them, but they don't. And the Morlocks go through like a genocide, essentially. Uh, the Marauders Jesus kill Christ. the majority of the Morlocks. Mm-hmm. And they also like massively injure a lot of the X-Men. Nightcrawler goes into a coma. Colossus gets paralyzed, but Magneto is able to fix it because Colossus is paralyzed in his magnetic or in his metal state. Um, and then Kitty, who currently goes by Shadowcat, she something is done to her where she is forced to be in an intangible state because her whole power is that she can like phase through things. Oh, okay. Okay. They basically make it like, what kind of injury is that? So they, uh, (laughs) they end up locking her in like a phase state. So she's intangible and she is slowly like literally disappearing. And they, they send uh, Nightcrawler and Kitty away to go be studied by Moira, Moira McTaggart, who's a scientist who also dates Charles a lot and they have an off and on thing. And Moira will basically like take care of them and try to fix them. During this time, the Marauders are also very interested in Madeline Pryor and her son, Nathan. Okay, cool. I was just about to ask 
what has she been up to all during exactly. all of this? Because it just occurred to me that like Scott left and started his own. So this is and she hasn't mentioned with his ex with his ex girlfriend. The funniest part, who he's still in love with, who he's dating Madeline. One of the funniest things is that Madeline sort of becomes like the person in the chair occasionally, where she'll like do like mission intel for the X Men, like over like the radio and stuff. Okay, like you know how a superhero has like the sidekick who will be like, "Oh, you, they're around this corner," and like she does that. You know what I mean? Okay, don't be don't be a bitch about it. I'm not. I just don't. I don't know these things. I didn't know that was a role that was filled. That there was someone who just like was on a walkie-talkie. And basically, so Madeline Pryor is most mostly she's just hanging out. She like lives around the mansion, and she's with Nathan, her baby, and just is caring for him. Scott, very absent father. Let's be honest. (laughs) Like, come on. Yeah, he seems like a shithead. At one point, the Marauders actually do capture them, and there's a bunch of fighting and stuff. And Nathan for a Nathan goes missing. He's kidnapped Mm -hmm. and we don't know where he is. Are we going to, the next time we see him, is he going to be an adult? Is this going to be another time shenanigans? Basically what happens at this point is Madeline is going crazy. Reasonably so. And sure. Do you remember magic? How she basically, um, she had a whole time distortion thing because she got stuck in a, like a a hell dimension called limbo. There's a Mm -hmm. demon from limbo who basically takes or like merges with Madeline. And so she becomes like this demo- she has she starts having like demonic powers and she's like going okay. crazy and the the limbo demon is like I know where Nathan is actually. And so Madeline Pryor goes and she ends up at this orphanage run by Mr. Sinister and this is where Nathan is. And now Mr. Sinister basically is like hey Madeline Remember how you think you have this life and you think you were in a plane crash and all these things and how you, you know, you fell in love with Scott. That was all me because you are my creation. I cloned you from Jean Grey and I made you and I made it so that you wanted to be with Scott because I am because like a whole thing is that um, Sinister is kind of he becomes really obsessed with scott and gene and like their genes because uh, mr sinister's whole thing is that he's essentially made himself immortal through genetic engineering he's he is a mutant but he like Mm -hmm. he he's insanely smart also and he does a lot of genetic engineering and he becomes obsessed with like gene gray and scott because he thinks they have like great specimens basically and he created Uh madeline to fuck with scott which worked and basically, sure. he wants to keep Nathan. He wants to steal Nathan. You know, he reveals to Madeline that, like, her whole life is a lie. She was a creation. Madeline goes insane, and she basically tears New York City into limbo. And there is this big event called yeah. Inferno, where basically New York is in hell, a hell dimension, and the <laughs> X-Men have to stop it. During this time, Madeline... She starts becoming really delusional. She starts putting Nathan's life in jeopardy. And eventually she is killed while she is attempting to kill Jean. Oh, shit. And so that's Madeline Pryor. Rip to a real one. She deserved better. Yep. <laughs> Women in it's comics, It's so tragic everybody. because, like, the biggest mistake anybody can make in an X-Men comic is being interested in Scott Summers. Which, like, I don't uh-huh. know why people are. I mean, it seems like a bad decision yeah. to begin with. So wait, does is, is Mr. Sinister, like, 
trying to collect his own mutant squad like why does he want nathan just because he thinks he has like good genetic makeup and he's going to use him to like do cloning and he's going to control him because he he has like loose world domination goals sure who doesn't wait what's his mutant power what is his mutant power is it just like unrelated i don't know if i actually know he has like mutant cooking abilities it's just like not doesn't really factor in According to the official... He just has an extra nipple. That's a very loose definition of mutant. According to the official X, you know, Marvel fandom wiki... Doesn't get more official than that. He has genetically engineered himself with mutant DNA. Okay. Oh, this is what it is. There is a villain named Apocalypse who will come up later. Apocalypse made him into a mutant, hmm. which he's able to do. And so he has... He uh, apparently he has the ability to shapeshift and he also has a healing oh. factor um, in addition to like superhuman, hu- superhuman strength, stuff like that. Okay. But one so of the just things miscellaneous superpowers. So this is actually one of the things he is essentially like. He is a weird doctor. He he grew up in like Victorian times um, and he was a surgeon. Um, uh-huh. He one of the things he does a lot is he will capture mutants and like murder mutants and take them apart and like dissect them and steal their genes so that he can alter himself and give himself more powers. It's fucked up. It's really fucked up. I don't like this guy. Yeah. So then um, that's kind of how Inferno ends. And then now we get another person shows up. This. Wait, how did Inferno end? Madeline Pryor's killed and they close the like limbo portal so that New York oh, is. Oh, like killing her closes it? Yeah. Um, okay, sure. And now basically that's over, but it's been too long since some rando showed up. So now Cable shows up. Mm -hmm. Do you know Cable? I know Cable is from the future. I know he's friends with Bishop or he's involved with Bishop. You know what? Don't bring up Bishop. We we haven't gotten Bishop. Cable is, is he another Scott Summers kid? So. (laughs) Another future child of Scott Summers? Because you guessed it. Because you guessed it. Yes. Is it Nathan? He Yes. I'm so smart. That's my mutant power. His context clues. Yeah, I mean, they set it up, but like, yes, you are correct. It it will be revealed later, but yeah, he is. He is Nathan. Um, So Cable arrives cool. in the future and he takes over leading the new mutants because at this point, Magneto just kind of leaves. Yeah. Just kind of he fucks goes on sabbatical. off. Yeah. There's this period of time where uh, a couple things happen where we're not going to get into them into detail because like uh, overall the storylines are not actually that important but there's a couple introductions that are important Mm -hmm. there's a storyline where the x-men get like scattered across the world at one point and they have through like teleportation stuff there's like a mutant who like teleports them and they have their little like individual journeys and at this point two new mutants join the crew as well wolverine meets young mutant jubilee Oh, yeah. Who we love. That's a person I've heard of. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to talk about this, actually, because you um, asked if there were any mutants who are vampires. Yes. And I I think the context was you asked if, like, there were any mutants who had powers that were basically like vampires. I think so, because there's mm-hmm. one that's a werewolf. Like, her mutant power is being a werewolf. Yeah, yeah. we'll say. But um, this will come... Like, this comes up. Um, Jubilee technically at one point is a mutant vampire but the thing is it her powers are not vampire like it's that she literally gets bitten by dracula (laughs) 
<laughs> Dracula. So she becomes a, a mutant who is also a vampire. Okay. Why? Oh, wait. That's much later. Yeah, we need actually a whole episode on what the fuck Dracula is doing with the X-Men. Yeah, he comes up a lot. Wait, Storm fights Dracula. Really? <laughs> Couldn't you just like make it sunny out and that would kill You'd him? You'd think. But Wait, is Cable ever going to come back? Yeah, Cable's hanging out right now. He's leading okay, the what new are, mutants. Oh, his, what are his powers? Uh, mostly he has guns. Like, this is the thing. <laughs> like not a mutant power. God damn. <laughs> you can just get that at Walmart. He has, he has telekinesis and telepathic abilities. Which, like, oh no, is he... I wonder if he could be related to, you know, the biggest telepath and telekinetic power person in this universe but wait he's not though so here's the thing yeah i know he's not technically gene gray's son he is madeline's son but madeline has the same genetic makeup was she did madeline have power like could no, she use powers she okay. did not but technically her genetic makeup has it sure it was like yeah. a recessive mutant gene since you guessed that cable is nathan there's a really funny thing on the the official like x-men fandom wiki uh uh-huh. where they list they list Jean Grey's children and they have Nathan and they have Nathan Summers parentheses stepson slash genetic son. But I just it's so funny. Um I, I love the idea God. of like adult cable being like, you're not my real mom. <laughs> you're my gene mom. And I don't mean like your name, I yeah. mean like genetics. But so he's leading the new mutants. Uh Okay. But then also what happens is, uh, so Jubilee comes in. Jubilee has the power of like, she makes pyrokinetic, pyrotechnics. What's the difference between her and Dazzler? I thought that was Dazzler's power. Uh, no, Dazzler controls light. I feel like those are the same thing. No, it's not. Because um, there's like an actual like pyrokinesis going on with um, Jubilee's. Oh, Jubilee can just light shit on fire. Uh, it's Well, it's not really like a fire. I thought she it's... like did fireworks. Yes, yes. But they can like hit people and stuff. Where like Dazzler is mostly just lights <laughs> okay. and fly. Gotcha. Sure. It's so no, it it's so much complexity. Uh, yeah. So Jubilee shows up and she is kind of like she gets taken under the wing of Wolverine, and then mm-hmm. Storm runs into this uh, person who's like a thief, a rogue, but not rogue. Why did I use that word? Uh, you just can't. You have to be careful about what you say when you're talking about Axon. But this is Remy LeBeau. Who oh, yeah. is Gambit. Gambit. Yeah. This is Gambit. He shows up. And he jo- so Jubilee and Gambit, they join the cast. Mm-hmm. I liked him when I was an edgy teen. <laughs> He's like one of the most popular X-Men ever. Like when Gambit yeah, was introduced, they literally saw a bump in X-Men sales because everybody really liked Gambit. When I was a teenager, my friend and I were in my basement trying to throw uh like playing cards like gambit mm-hmm. and one of them that my friend threw hit me directly in the <laughs> eyeball and scratched my cornea fun fact about gambit fun fact about gambit <laughs> weren't they going to make a gambit like standalone movies yeah it was gonna be it was gonna be um shanning tatum that's right So, but, so there's a confrontation at some point in this period in the late eighties with apocalypse Uh huh. and Nathan is, and so you, you spoiled yourself. So, you know, the twist that comes, but I will be referring to baby Nathan as Nathan. And I will refer to adult Nathan as cable. 
just to keep sure. it clear. So Nathan, he's kidnapped and he is infected with something called the techno-organic virus. I know about the techno-organic virus. Really? There was a there was an X-Men novel. Okay. You know how they would do like, yeah. like you know, whatever. It was there was like a paperback novel. This is also how I know about Cable and Bishop. Uh, because it was a it was a story about the techno organic virus. Yeah. And I remember it being very viscerally upsetting to me as a child. It is. And it in, it infects the baby Nathan. He is infected by this techno organic virus oh, and no. there's nothing that they can do. Yeah. But the good thing is that once you get techno organic virus as a kid, you can't get it again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're inoculated. It's like I don't know why they just don't have like a vaccine like a like a little inoculation that everybody takes when you're born. Yeah. But anyways, the only way to save baby Nathan is that Cyclops has to send Nathan into the future, (laughs) which first off, I feel like Cyclops is such a bad dad. He's like, oh, yeah, we got to we got to get rid of this kid. It's the only way. Yeah. And there's like the person from the future is like, oh, I could just I could just bring the, you know, cure here. No, I think we need to make me not responsible for him for the next 25 years. I I think that's what's best for him. I don't want that. I just, uh, you know, I just got my old crush back and, you know, my my wife, the old ball and chain, she's dead. So (laughs) I just don't really want to be held down by anything right now. So he sends... Cable should show up and immediately demand, like, decades worth of child right? support like, from Scott. I, I like to believe that Cable kind of hates Scott and is like, you were such a bitch to my mom. He should. But he doesn't. So he sends uh, Nathan to the future. And Nathan is just gone. And this is a plot point that just doesn't really come up. It's convenient. So next, the like next big storyline that happens is the X-Men get word that there is this place called Muir Island. Um, which houses like a research facility. Mm -hmm. And they learn that the Shadow King, who is this really huge, you look like you recognize that name. No, that's oh, just okay. I, that's just a hell of a name. It's a here, dope name. Out of nowhere. So uh, the Shadow King has apparently taken over Muir Island and has subjugated the entire facility's like population. Shadow mm-hmm. King is a telepath. He is almost as strong as Charles. And in fact, they have a history where when Charles was young and he was like kind of roaming the world, he encountered the Shadow King. And no, he he did not kiss the Shadow King. Aww. He only has eyes for Magneto and Lalandra and Moira. But, <laughs> but mostly Magneto. Yeah, but mostly Magneto. Uh, Michael Xavier, come on. He's just like rehearsing at that point. I know. He- <laughs> I like to think that, you know, Charles comes back and he's like, Michael Xavier, like you were acquitted. Nobody Where asked did you, come you up with that. Nobody <laughs> asked you to change your name. He's just like, yeah, but like, doesn't your last name sound so good as uh, with me? <laughs> Guys, come on. Everybody <laughs> yeah. around them is just like, fucking kiss already. But the Shadow King has his history with Xavier, where basically when Xavier was young, um, a young telepath and was kind of like roaming the world, he encountered the Shadow King. This was like one of the first other mutants he encountered. But the thing about, you know, Charles obviously is like he's a do-gooder. He doesn't use his powers for crime or anything. The Shadow King was so manipulative, he controlled everything. He like used his powers to like subjugate people. And they had this massive duel like inside their minds. And Xavier was able to defeat the Shadow King at the time, but obviously the Shadow King did not die. He just was around. So he's back. So basically when they find out it's the Shadow King who's like controlling Muir Island, the X-Men are like, we need Charles to come back. That's Mm -hmm. the only way we're going to manage to do this. 
Wait, where has Charles been? He's been in space with his space wife. Because that's right. During remember, during the trial of Magneto, he got injured by the Fenris right, twins. Right, right, right. No, I remember yeah. now. I just couldn't. It'd been a while since we brought him so up. So they've been off in space fucking. Is that how she cures him? <laughs> no. <laughs> um maybe that's what she said she was like you have to have sex you have to have like so much sex with me that's what heals you but so they basically they call to charles and he's like oh fuck okay i I have to come back all right let me get dressed yeah (laughs) (laughs) let me get a quick shower i'll be right there i let me finish my cigarette we just fucked (laughs) but he comes back and basically what happens is the only way to beat them or to beat the Shadow King is Charles is like, we need everybody. We need every fucking person. So he gets the new mutants. He gets X-Factor. He gets the X-Men. They all team up, which is also this is the first time X-Factor like teams up with the main team. And they all team up and they, you know, and with Charles at the lead doing like all of this like psychic battling with the Shadow King, they manage to defeat the Shadow King, like trap him away, basically like in kind of like a coma palace thing. And after this, what happens is Xavier's back in charge and he forms new teams. So... Okay. Which relates to new books. Sure. All the old books are essentially kind of ended and we get a relaunch. The The strike team is broken into two strike teams. There's the gold team and the blue team, which... So the blue team is led by <laughs> Scott and the gold team is led by Storm. She's back. She's So these two are taking charge of like the two strike teams. Mm-hmm. That translates to gold... Uh, the gold team is Uncanny X-Men. That's the book. The blue, the blue is just X-Men. And then the new mutants with Cable at the head. Cable is basically like, we need to be like more aggressive. We can't fuck around anymore. So he changes the new mutants into X-Force, which are essentially like the most militaristic, like, Basically, they're a black ops team, like they're the X-Men black ops team. And so that's the new books that form. This is at a very, very important time. Through all these storylines that we've been covering, we are now in 1991. And I just want to like... We made it through the 80s. The shoulder pads are smaller now. Yeah, we need to do kind of like a... We need to step back from the story and like take a look at X-Men as a property at this time. During the 80s... Claremont was able to make X-Men like the most popular team, the most popular Marvel property, and it was one of the best-selling comics. And so in the 90s, Marvel really doubles down on that. They're like, we're going to go big with X-Men. So they do this huge relaunch, and they have these new books. Then they're like, you got to read all three books. At this point, when when they're just about to do the relaunch, X-Men is so popular that literally comic book shops... They have something called the X-Men Index, which is they measure the sales of other comic books by comparing it to how many X-Men comics are sold. Uh That's how popular, like this is the biggest comic in the world. And it all is because Chris Claremont took a bad idea that Stanley couldn't make good and over the course of nearly two decades transformed it into the biggest like comic property in the world. And so at this point in the 90s, Comics as an industry has also changed a lot. Writers have always been the focus kind of in comics. Like it's always been a very writer forward medium, oddly enough, considering it's a Mm -hmm. very visual thing. At 
the during the 90s, we get new printing like methods where you're doing more computer printing and like um, there's a lot more vivid color that's coming in. And so it changes the way that art is done in comics and artists be- start becoming a huge, huge deal uh, to the point where you basically have like celebrity comic artists. like And so... Marvel is really at the top of their game right now. Like not only with X-Men, like Spider-Man is fucking killing it right now. And they have this team of artists who are basically the like the best in the business. They're celebrities. They're like, if you read a comic, you know who they are. And one of them is Jim Lee, who during this relaunch, they team Chris Claremont with Jim Lee and they're going to do the relaunch. So then they go and they have X-Men number one. And as you can see... This is regular sized. This is... It is just regular sized. But there's this sprawling like cover art. This is done by Mm -hmm. Jim Lee. And like, so... And you'll see this like Jim Lee becomes very, very uh, iconic in the X-Men. He did all these costume designs. So he's responsible for making like arguably the most iconic X-Men costumes ever. Yeah, I feel like this is what I picture when I think of the X-Men. Exactly. Like, not just the costumes, but, like, the style of this, like, feels like, which would have been what I was seeing, like, in, on comics. So this is the thing also, is one of the reasons that his art style becomes so ubiquitous with X-Men is because the animated series launches in 92. Oh, sure. And while the animated series isn't covering 90s X-Men stories, really, it's covering older X-Men stories, they use these costumes. Mm-hmm. So that's like people start being like, oh, that's what an X, that's like what Cy- Cyclops looks yeah. like. They also look exactly like this in like the, the game, like mm-hmm. the arcade game and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a huge event. This comic is literally the biggest selling comic in history. Like still, still. Or at the time. Wow. Still to this day, which there is, we won't get into it. There's a lot of like, weird history behind that also because this was also the period where comics collecting was reaching a height and so people were kind of inflating sales prices because they wanted to buy something that they expected to be a collectible item in the future which is kind of the case with this but this was like marvel really put this forward as like the event of the decade like we're relaunching chris claremont's writing we got the best artist in comics drawing it's going to be a big deal within three issues chris claremont leaves wow and here's why Chris Claremont and Jim Lee have a lot of disagreements about how they want to take the story. And mainly what this comes down to is Chris Claremont has been writing X-Men for nearly two decades, and he wants to always be pushing forward. He wants to do new stories with new things and do like really interesting stuff. Jim Lee has never worked on X-Men, and he's an artist. He's basically like, I want to play the hits. I want to play the X-Men hits. Mm -hmm. I just kind of want to go back. I want to do a Magneto story. And basically, uh, Claremont is like, fuck no. Like, I'm so tired of that. Like, why would we do a Magneto story just to bring him back and make him a villain again? He's like, that's stupid as shit. So I don't want to do that. And there's a lot of disagreements, but it ends up going up to like the top of of Marvel Comics to the editors and the editors side with Jim Lee. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of this comes down to the 90s are the age of the artist in comics. And with these celebrity artists, it was like, we want to make them happy. We want to keep them on the projects because their art is selling stuff now. Yeah. Like they're literally selling millions of comics because of these covers. 
I have to imagine also in like stupid, um, like executive brain, the idea of doing the thing that you've always that's familiar so we can keep selling people mm-hmm. the same thing is more appealing than giving them something new and interesting yes. because they don't understand how human beings work. I think this moment itself will become very indicative of the 90s X-Men and honestly, mm-hmm. X-Men after this point forever. After three issues... Claremont is so dissatisfied with these things that he leaves because basically he brings Magneto back and Magneto is just a villain again. And Claremont's like, I hate this. Like, this is not why I've been writing this comic. It's stupid. And so he leaves. And with that, 1991 is the end of the Claremont era. And going forward, we are in the new age, the 90s. Something that I think is really funny to note that I will be one of our last things we talk about is Claremont leaves after three issues. Jim Lee is essentially given free reign. He's teamed up with another person, but like it's very clear kind of that Jim Lee kind of gets to do what he wants. Literally months later, Jim Lee leaves X-Men and Marvel Hmm. because what happens is He's at the top of his game. He's one of the most popular artists in the world as a comics artist. And him and a handful of other of the biggest uh, comic artists at Marvel, they all get together and they talk and they're like, we are the money makers. We rule Marvel and we don't Mm -hmm. get enough. We don't get enough credit. We don't get enough money. Like we want to be big. So they leave Marvel and they form their own company, which becomes Image Comics. Okay. Which... Yeah, and we won't get into Image, obviously, but that's that's what happens is Image starts because some of the top artists at Marvel, they all leave and they found Image. But it's really, really, it's really tragic to me because Jim Lee kind of forced his way into getting what he wanted at X-Men to the point Claremont left, and then he didn't actually care, and he left. And so yeah, he kind of killed Cla- the Claremont era for no reason. That is shitty. It's 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 hard because I don't have like the emotional investment in it. It's hard for me to like see Jim Lee as like the like the bad guy there because like I from the little that I know, like Marvel was like legendarily terrible to the people who created comics. So like I'm sure they were not paying them what they deserved. And I'm sure that like it, he was right to like go and form this other thing. It just sucks that like Chris Claremont had to get pushed out before that happened. Um, so at this point, is there like another person, another writer who like takes the like Chris Claremont position or is it like a bunch of different writers or is it someone who is just kind of like playing second fiddle to Jim? So Lee? at this point, it's uh, just kind of a handful of other writers. OK, nobody really. I believe that in the 90s, nobody really puts their mark on X-Men like Claremont. Mm-hmm. The 90s are really about the visual it's about vibes more than it is about story, which is kind of why for me, and as will become clear as we go on, I identify X-Men eras by writer because I think that's kind of how it is. It's like, okay, you have the Stan Lee time, you have the Claremont era, you have Morrison, you have Whedon, you have Bendis, you have uh, Hickman. That's how you think of it. Except the 90s. Like, Hmm. nobody says the 90s by writer. You're just like, and then there's the 90s, which I think is kind of a shows that there is something off. Right. The the, the stories aren't as memorable as just the the idea of the X-Men. Yeah. 
Interesting. Yeah. And um, I mean, we're an hour 15 in and I, I think it's really funny. I initially was like, my goal is to get to the end of the 90s and I only got to basically the start. The beginning of the 90s. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I think what we're learning is you have a lot to say about the X-Men. I do. More than you think, because mm-hmm. wasn't didn't you like? I remember the first episode was like didn't cover as much as you wanted it to either. Yeah, definitely. Didn't. You were very over optimistic with the first episode. I was over optimistic again with this one. Mm-hmm. I really thought I would be able to manage. I am not surprised. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's our little X Men, uh, you know, <sighs> break for now. I will be. I will be back. With more, yes. we will get through the 90s. Don't worry. Sometime future Willa will return to the present to grace us with her knowledge. Exactly. The next time we're both too stressed out <laughs> to come up with this real topic. Um, but I mean, besides that, uh, I wanted to ask, what have you been up to? Yeah, I have a brief on this week. Um, I just want to quickly mention this book that I just started reading. Uh, I'm not very far in it, which is why I don't have a ton to say about it so far. Uh, but it is a book called Before We Were Trans by Kit Hayam. Uh, and it's a basically a history of gender nonconformity in times and societies when the idea of like a trans community didn't really exist. Like before we had the term trans, people who identified as or who were in some way gender nonconforming. Uh, and it both like tells the stories of people whose whose experience of their gender doesn't fall into our like very like modern, very white uh, narratives of what it means to be trans, which is like a stable gender identity and and very like visible characteristics and and all the things that we like that are like annoying today, <laughs> like the the things that give people a very limited view of what it means to be trans today. Those things are even more uh, magnified when you look back into the past before there was even a term like that for people to identify themselves by. Uh, so the it's it's like it tells the stories of those people and also kind of is like a framework for expanding the idea of what we think of when we think of trans people and of gender nonconformity uh, in a way that is not trying to force people from other cultures into our our like current culturally informed understanding of transness but to like expand the definition to include those things Mm -hmm. and it's i don't know it's also a lot about like one of the big problems with identifying uh historically gender nonconforming people is like just they didn't have the terms that we do today or it was not safe to express themselves that way or they did but those records have been lost so it is like taking a very like open view to what we can consider part of the trans community or or part of gender nonconformity and kind of like allowing things in that that often get forgotten by the way that we tend to look at the community now so like i said i'm not not very far in but uh whatever it's so far has been fantastic um i can already kind of like feel the ways in which i can see my my experience kind of uh, honored in a way um, being like a you know pretty very non-passing trans woman and like someone whose gender has been like fluid at various times like I can see a lot of myself in there and also like is kind of challenging the implicit biases that I have picked up like even even as someone who tries to have a very ex- expansive view of what it means to be trans like even reading this of being like oh wait yeah maybe maybe there is there are things about how I think about this that are still excluding people and that are still shitty and and hegemonic and all that stuff can't speak to much of the book i've only read like 
the first, like there's an introduction and then there's the first chapter and I've read those, but so far it's been fantastic. Mm. Uh, so based on what I've read so far, I think it's, I'm very excited to continue reading it. Yeah. Uh, but that's been my week. Uh, what else have you been up to aside from studying up for your X-Men exam? So this actually is going to, it's going to keep the theme going because <laughs> okay. I wanted to shout out another podcast that I think is a really excellent kind of accompaniment to to this to this mm-hmm. kind of idea of me recounting the history of the x-men to you and in in honor of madeline Pryor, i'm going to shout out there is a podcast called cerebro which is a really mm. really funny but also really like deeply informative uh podcast that is literally just this it is just they talk about x-men and they in april they had their 100th episode which is just about Madeline Pryor. It is a three-part episode, and in total, it is nearly 12 hours. Oh my God. Because Madeline Pryor is such a fascinating character. And they like they go into all of Madeline Pryor, not just the stuff that we've talked about, because like shocker, mm-hmm. Madeline Pryor comes back. But what? it's this really Does Scott fall in love with her again. No. Which oh. is like good. She deserves better. Sure. Um, yeah. She actually starts having a thing with Havoc, his brother. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you, Scott. (laughs) But um, this is for sending our baby into the future, you asshole. Uh, But I just wanted to shout out this episode. It's episode 100 of Cerebro. You can find it like wherever you listen to podcasts. It is really excellent. I know most people will not have the time to listen to it, but like it's worth it. It's great. Or just any episode from this podcast. And like, that's just what I wanted to shout out. If you like this kind of thing at all. Incredible. And when you say it's just like this, do you mean they also have one host who has no idea what's happening the whole time? Or is no, that so they have the main okay. host and then the host brings in guests. And basically they kind of do, you, you would love this because you've asked to do this kind of with me, is they focus on a character typically. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's just the like cool. bring in a guest and that guest will be like, let me tell you about the history of, you know, Shadow King. That's awesome. Well, I don't want to spoil any of y- your future presentations for myself but when whenever we finish your x-men history in like six years or so i will i will listen to that podcast but yeah thanks for joining us for another adventure in the history of the x-men uh mm-hmm. next week we will be back with video games probably, probably. you can listen to girl mode anywhere you you listen to podcasts uh we are on so many social medias but just go to the link tree that we will put in the show notes uh you can find me on social media at the will of row and you can find me at robin bombas to me my x-men <laughs> is that how you <laughs> that is how last I because last time you were like yeah. what's something the x-men say and i was like oh, to me right. my ex <laughs> da, 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 yes. da, da. Until next time, don't accidentally fall in love with the clone of your ex-girlfriend. Yeah. It'll just get messy. Be a good father. Don't send your child to the future. (laughs) (laughs) That's really good advice. One second, I actually have to turn off my air conditioner. But I did clap, so we're good. Great. Oh, I'm ready. Oh, you, you didn't <laughs> tell me that. You just said... <laughs> <laughs>
I have to go turn off my air conditioner, and then you didn't move or do anything. I have a, I have a, I have a little remote, so I oh, just. Okay. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> All right. Okay. Setting up a great normal episode.